Welcome to Tall Hungry Girl Talks. Today we are talking about managing trauma and I have two amazing guests with me. Um, Dr. Sepna Doshi joins us again. Um, I'm so glad that you're back. Thanks for having me. Yes. She is the director. Oh my... (laughs) My computer just went to sleep. She is a director and clinical psychologist at Mind, Body, and Health, a therapy practice with locations in Arlington, Virginia, and Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. She earned her Ph.D. from Drexel University and completed her doctoral internship at Duke University Medical Center. Um, We are going to talk to her a little bit later in the show about uh, managing trauma from, you know, a clinical perspective. But first, um, we are going to talk to Amy Downs. She began her career as a teller 32 years ago working for Federal Employee Credit Union located in the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building. In 1995, she was one of the last survivors to be pulled from the rubble following the Oklahoma City bombing in which 18 of her 33 coworkers at the credit union were killed. Embracing her second chance at life, Amy launched a campaign of self-improvement and empowerment, losing 200 pounds and adopting a new active lifestyle, which ultimately led her to become an Ironman triathlete. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> Amy holds a bachelor's degree in organizational leadership and a master's degree in business administration from Southern Nazarene University. She still works for the same credit union, which also survived the bombing, and it's now called Allegiance Credit Union, uh, where she serves as the president and CEO. Welcome, Amy. Welcome. I'm so happy to be on the podcast. Yes, I'm so, so, so glad um, that you're talking with me. You know, as as a little note to you, um, you have been actually very, probably unknown to you. You've been very instrumental in this podcast. You had sent me a message on Instagram a few weeks ago telling me that I was inspiring you. And you have always yes. inspired me. And when I got that message, <laughs> it made me cry. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, if this, if she's listening and she thinks this is inspiring through all the things that you've been through in your life, it really like actually motivated me to continue. So I just wanted to, you know, give you a thanks for that. Yes. Um, So I want to learn more about the experience that you had the day of the Oklahoma city bombing. Can you tell me more about that? Sure. So imagine you're just going to work normal day and you know, you're just going through the motions, everything you do at your job, and you sit down at your desk, and all of a sudden, a bomb goes off. It is so hard to explain. It's like one minute you're sitting there, everything's normal, and the next minute, you don't even know what's happening, but you know that whatever's going on, It's a life or death situation. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm sitting there, um, I'm signing on my computer, a coworker sat down next to me and I, I just turned to ask her, Hey, what do you need? And then all of a sudden I hear this roaring in my head and I feel this really powerful rushing sensation. Like I'm falling and I was, I was falling three floors and I can hear what sounds like fireworks going off, which later I find out is basically fertilizer exploding from the bomb that was made with fertilizer and the concrete of the building crumbling. And 
all of this happened so fast. And about 10 feet of rubble piles in on top of me. I'm still in my chair. I'm upside down. I've fallen three floors, and I'm buried under about 10 feet of rubble. I had been sitting on the third floor, front and center of the credit union where I worked in the credit card department. And I I had no idea what had happened. I just knew it was major. You know, I remember thinking that the sound and the, the, just the way it felt like my head was exploding. I remember thinking, you know, did somebody come in and they, they, you know, did they shoot me? And was I shot in the back of the head? Mm Mm-hmm. At a credit union, you're always kind of wor- a little bit worried about robbery, you know, and I thought, is that what happened? You know, I, I had no idea, and I had no clue what had happened, and I was buried and trapped for about 45 minutes before I ever heard voices, and when I heard men's voices, I started screaming, and these men, you know, they, they were looking for the daycare babies, and so they, they were like, I hear you, child. How old are you? And I'm thinking, um, who, you know, because <laughs> I'm afraid they're going to come get me if I tell, tell I'm 28, yeah. you know, <laughs> but they came to get me. And when they came to get me, you know, my, my hand was sticking out of the side of the rubble pile. So when they grabbed my hand, I'm thinking they're getting ready to pull me out. You know, I'm good. I had no idea how bad everything was. I had no clue. And about the time they got to my hand, I could hear other voices in the background and I, I heard people screaming, there's another bomb. There's another bomb. Everybody get out now. There's another bomb. And I, I realized that I wasn't going anywhere. And the, the men were kind of trying to talk over this voice. And they said, Amy, we just need to get some more hydraulic equipment. We'll be right back. Um, we just need to get some more equipment. But I could hear. I could hear the people screaming, there's another bomb. And if you ever watch footage of the Oklahoma City bombing, you see in the live footage, you see when that second bomb happens and you just see swarms of people just running from the building Mm -hmm. and that's what happened they just all fled from the building and I'm laying there you know buried I can't go anywhere so at that point that is when really you know the whole life flashing before your eyes started occurring because I knew I knew what had happened with the bomb my reality at that moment was another one was getting ready to go off so this is it I'm 28 years old and I'm getting ready to die And what hit me was, I'm getting ready to die, and I have never even lived my life. Mm -hmm. Up until that point, I had really just sort of coasted through life. I had no purpose. I didn't know what I wanted to be. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just went to work, came home, sat on the couch, ate Cheetos, watched TV, rinse, repeat the next day, you Mm -hmm. know, and all of a sudden, I had such clarity you know, right before you're going to die, you know, you just have all this clarity of, oh my gosh, now I know what my priorities should have been. You're like, I couldn't have gotten this wisdom earlier. (laughs) Yes. I'm like, all of a sudden I get it now. Like I have a do over because I get it. And it was, it was a very desperate type feeling. Mm -hmm. So, um, I just, you know, I, I laid there and I, I, I thought about a lot of things, you know, I'd never been a mom. This is a really weird thought to me. at the time, I never wanted to have kids. I didn't see myself as a mom type person. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die and I've never had a child. And I remember like actually trying to think through the logic of that, going, well, that's a good thing because if you had a child, like you're going to die and this child wouldn't have a mom. So, like, you know, it's a good thing you're not. But yeah. it was like weird. It was like I had this whole conflict of logic between my heart going, but, 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 
I've never lived. I didn't live. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. You know, and so I started making promises and saying, you know, you know, God, if, if, if I could make it out, I will never live my life the same. I'll, I'll never live my life the same. And just kind of bargaining with, with, you know, for me, it was, you know, with God, you know, I'm just bargaining, like, give me a second chance. I'll, I'll do something different. I'll live my life. And, you know, thinking about all the things I would do different mm-hmm. and, um, of all the very weird things to do, it, at one point, I actually started singing. <laughs> so, which I don't sing well unless I'm alone <laughs> in my car and then I'm like a rock star, you know, but. Um, like we all are. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Exactly. So I started singing like this um, kind of praise and worship song I had grown up in church, you know, hearing. And it, it was really weird. I, I did feel peace at that point and I, I felt like I was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that meant I was going to make it out alive. I just knew it, it was going to be okay, whatever happened, you know. And, uh, of course, there was not a second bomb, and the, and the men came back, and they started working to get me out. And it took them six and a half hours to get me out. Mm-hmm. And there was even another bomb scare that happened um, later on. And I remember the men said, at this point, they were like, Amy, this is no big deal, but we have to leave you. What do you need? And I'm like, well, I'm, you know, kind of thirsty. I could use a sonic drink right now. You know, like, what do you mean? What do I need? Like, like, you know, I'm, to get I'm out of here. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, you know, it's kind of hard to breathe. You know, I'm, I'm having a little trouble breathing because it was very hard to breathe. So, so, so here's what they did. They got a stick and they got a wet rag and they put a wet rag on the end of a stick and they shoved it down in the hole down to where it could reach me so that I could suck the water out of this rag to get a drink and then they put an oxygen tube down in there so that I could breathe a little easier so anyway so that's what they did and yeah and and these men they were absolutely amazing because the building were was very unstable the area where I was located later had to be imploded to get the last three bodies out because it was not even safe enough for the rescue workers to pull the bodies out. That's how unstable the area was. Yeah. And there was a, there was an emergency physician on standby um, to amputate my leg if they needed to, in order to get me out quickly, in order to save the lives of the rescuers. Mm-hmm. And so I really credit my rescuers for me getting out in one piece because they kept, they risked their lives and they kept saying, give us 20 more minutes, give us 20 more minutes. And they did that for six and a half hours and did not have to amputate. Wow. And then they finally said, we're going to count to three. We're going to pull. This is going to hurt. And they pulled me out. It did hurt, but I came out. And I remember looking around and just thinking, this looks like a movie. Like, this is not even real. Yeah. And they put me on the back of a gurney. They took me out of the back of the federal building. That morning, it had been this beautiful spring morning. And now all of a sudden, it looked like the middle of winter. And it was cold and dark and raining. But I'll never forget taking that first breath of fresh air and just promising God that I would never live my life the same. Yeah. So what did, what did the next like days and weeks and months look like? How, how was your recovery during that process? Like how did you process all of those emotions? Because so many of your coworkers did pass in that, like how, how did you begin to even process such a huge event? It was really dark. I remember being in the hospital, and at first I was really excited, right? Because, you know, I thought I was going to die, and then all of a sudden I'm out, and I'm like, I live. It's great. 
and I'm in the hospital, and then I start find I start getting these phone calls from my coworkers' family members, and they're like, "Do you remember what Chrissy was wearing? Do you remember what Sonia was wearing?" And I saw all of those people that morning. Like yeah. I was running around talking with everybody, and I saw I saw them, but I couldn't remember what they wore. And I'm just feeling horrible because they're trying to identify the bodies of their loved ones, and I can't remember what they wore. Mm-hmm. And it was like one by one, I found out that 18 of my 33 coworkers were killed during the eight days I was in the hospital. And it was just, the grief was just overwhelming. And it took quite a while to work through there. Mm-hmm. I remember the, the, when I found out my best friend was killed, she was one of the last bodies that they pulled out of the bombing, out of the rubble. I remember looking out of the hospital window just sobbing and I saw all of the cars in the middle of the day in Oklahoma City they were all driving around with their headlights on and this was days maybe seven days after the bombing and it was that's how our city came together I mean it was really amazing and not only the city but of course you know I worked for a credit union and the credit union movement was really amazing credit unions from all over the United States like came to our help came to help us to to rebuild and it was just that was really amazing. I mean, in the midst of all of this grief and all this horrible stuff, you see all these people come together. And a lot of, you know, um, social workers, clinical psychologists, you know, therapists, they were coming and volunteering their time and helping. And that was really amazing. Yeah. And so the years that followed were, were really dark, but I'm a huge advocate for counseling because that was, to me, the key. Yeah. Um, was my physical therapist had been in a, that was helping me r- learn to walk again because my, my leg was blown open. He helped me walk again and he had been in an oil field explosion himself. And he said, I really recommend you get counseling. And I was kind of a, uh, you don't need counseling. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of girl. Like that's stupid. You know, I'm not going to go listen to somebody, tell my problems to them, you know, whatever. And he was, he just kept insisting. So I finally called and made an appointment with the therapist. Okay. You guys can appreciate that. So call and make an appointment with the therapist. <laughs> now this is before caller ID, you know, caller ID and stuff. Okay. So I make the appointment in front of the people that are telling me I need to do it. Right. As soon as they leave, I call and I cancel the appointment because I don't need a therapist. Oh. <laughs> the therapist calls me back the next day, but this is before caller ID. Yeah. So I have no idea, right? I just answer the phone. And she's like, hi, this is, you know, Georgia Swanson. And I understand you canceled your appointment. And I'm like, uh-huh. And she's like, so I have an opening right now. Can you come? And it's like I couldn't think of a lie fast enough. And I'm like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll be right there. So I show up for therapy with my arms crossed like, whatever, let's just get this over with. Like, I'm not telling you anything. And (laughs) two years later, I'm in therapy until the, um, the McVeigh trial happens and the guilty verdict comes in. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a huge advocate for therapy getting through. That is, that is what I tell people all the time. Do not hesitate to seek out a therapist, a counselor, somebody that can help you navigate these circumstances. Yeah. I think, um, you know, just like, you know, getting over anything, it's so secured, it's circuitous, you know, so many ups and downs. 
how, like, how do you think it sh- has shaped your life? Because I think for a lot of people, it doesn't, you know, sometimes horrible trauma doesn't end well. But I think people like yourself and, um, you know, you have really made made something out of this. How, how, how do you feel like it shaped your life? Well, for one, the therapist was able to tell me that what I was experiencing was normal for what I had been through, right? Because I'm sitting there thinking, man, I'm waking up at night, I'm having flashbacks. Like I would fall asleep at night and I would dream either a tornado hit my house or I was in an airplane and an airplane was crashing. But as soon as one of those events happened, I basically went back to the bombing. Yeah. It was like a cover story. Like yeah. I, in my dream, it was, a, it was a tornado, but as soon as the tornado hit the house, I relived everything in my dream. And I would wake up just drenched in sweat, just, you know, every night. And so a therapist was able to say, hey, look, this what you're going through, this is called a flashback. And this is normal. And you're going to get through it. Here's other cases of people. You know, they, they were like, like she was the flashlight, you know, kind of a flashlight going, look, here's the path. You're going to make it. We're going to make it through this path. I'm going to help shine the flashlight. You're going to get, you're going to go down this road and it's yeah. going to be okay. Yeah. And so what sort of coping mechanisms did you use? So one, a big coping mechanism was, um, (laughs) this is really weird, but I remember her telling me about compartmentalizing, which, you know, a lot of times I know people talk about that being a bad thing, but for, in this situation, you know, I remember her saying, imagine that you're opening a closet and there's a shoebox on the closet shelf. And you're going to open up that shoebox. You're going to put this thing in the shoebox. You're going to shut the lid, shut the closet for right now, right? And and what that was is I was really agonizing over testifying in the McVeigh trial. Mm-hmm. I was subpoenaed to be the first uh, witness in the McVeigh trial, um, and I was I really had a lot of agony. It just it terrified me that I was yeah. going to have to go in a courtroom and see McVeigh and testify. Um, the other thing was uh, visualization. You know, she had me practice, you know, picture the courtroom, picture standing there in front of McVeigh. You're confident. You're speaking. You're in control. You're so just this. I mean, small little tips. You could Google them and get them on the Internet. But yeah. there was something about having this trusted person that's heard your story, that's walking you through everything, that's going, look, do this thing. Like, yeah. do this little tip, and this is going to help you. And it would be really small things like that that would just – be like a lifeline. Yeah. So I know that you're an avid cyclist, um, and, and have competed. So how did, how did that come about? Was that one of your ways of coping? Did that? It was, yeah, it really was. So my sister was a cyclist and, um, actually my boss at the time, my CEO at the time, she had bought a bike and thought it would be fun to ride a bike. And I was like, Oh, my sister's kind of into that thing. You know, I'll, I'll ride a little bit. And she, her husband, had surgery or something and couldn't ride with her. So I went to ride and, oh my gosh, it was so fun. I went rode my bike and it was like in 15 minutes, my legs were like jello, <laughs> but it was a blast. It was like, yes. I, I remember being a kid again. And of course, by now I had lost a lot of weight. So it was really exciting that I could actually be on a bicycle. Yeah. Like I can actually get on a bicycle. I felt so free. It was so amazing. And um, 
so I told my sister, I was like, okay, I'm going to ride my bike with you, but I'm not going to wear all that really weird gear. Like, I'm not going to wear all that weird stuff y'all wear, but I'm going to ride my bike with you. Mm-hmm. Okay, fast forward to today, she doesn't ride anymore, and my <laughs> closet is half full of it. But, um, and I met my husband while riding a bike, so there's yeah. that. I mean, yes. hey, there's really cute men out there, and they're in spandex, so what can I say? <laughs> it's a good sport you should take it up (laughs) oh I know I actually have started bike riding more too my bike is just a 150 dollar one off craigslist though so nothing fancy (laughs) I ride like seven miles and I feel like I've done something so hey that is something seven miles is not too shabby yeah um so how do you feel now like when you look back at this experience how do you think in the totality of your life that it has shaped you it has absolutely shaped me. And, you know, it's it's kind of a um, – I don't know. You know, how do you um, – I don't know. How do you curse the river and praise the rain? I, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a weird deal. How many of us look back over our lives and we see things that have happened that were horrible – but then we say, if this hadn't happened, then it wouldn't have led to this. If I hadn't have lost my job here, then it wouldn't have turned to this. If I hadn't yeah. have gone through this divorce, I wouldn't have met this person, right? If I could go back in time and trade anything to save one life, one life, I would do it in a heartbeat. But that's not the deal on the table. Life doesn't give you that deal, right? Mm-hmm. So, but what I can tell you is, is that the decisions that I made and the way that I chose to respond did shape my life. And it did cause me to really pay attention and decide that it was time to live my life intentionally. Yeah. To no longer coast, that I'm living on borrowed time, and that I want to make this life count. So it's a very messy um it's a it's a very messy thing for me because honestly, that day, uh, you know, one of the things of, of thinking I would never be a mom, I ended up having a son. Mm-hmm. And later, when I told my son about about this, and I, he knew about the story and everything, and you know, right before he was getting ready to go off for college, he said, "Mom, you know, the bombing was actually probably the best day in my life." And I went, "Do what?" You know, I'm thinking, "Wash your mouth out. Why would you yeah. say that? The bombing's not a good day." And he said but I wouldn't be here if that hadn't happened. And it was such a gross, horrible comment and thought. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's, that's, that's horrible. Why would, you know, I'm thinking that's awful, but it, I kept wrestling with that going, but at the same time, you know, he's right. I mean, that caused me to stop and to think, and I'm not thankful. Don't get me wrong. I am not thankful it, for that at all. And like I said, if I could trade anything, I would. But at the same time, it's like all of our lives. Our yeah. lives are messy, very, very messy. And when we look back, we can see horrible things that we go, wow. But the way I responded and, and the way I handled it, you know, it, again, it's that cliche. It's not so much what happens to you in this life. It's how you choose to respond to it that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. And it was how I chose to respond to it. Yeah. So what would be your like piece of advice for other people who have gone through other traumatic events like so the the biggest piece of advice I have is if something's happened to you you're a victim right your house burned down 
you had something horrible happening. You got, you lost your job. You were laid off. Um, you were a victim of a terrorist um, attack, whatever, right? You're a victim. Like you didn't cause that to happen. It happened. It wasn't your own choices. You were a victim. Granted. But at some point, if you want to become a survivor, at some point you have to take responsibility for what's happened to you, even mm-hmm. though you didn't cause it. Mm-hmm. You have to actually take responsibility and you have to actually say, okay, what am I going to do to move forward and take that responsibility for your life in your own hands? You cannot sit back for the rest of your life and go, oh, I'm a victim. Yeah. You have to make that decision to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, you know, that that's the biggest thing is realizing that, you know, you can, you can go through all of that, but at some point you've got to say, okay, what do I do now? And I think for me, seeking therapy and having a counselor walk you through that is the very best thing that you can do. Yes. Which is a perfect time <laughs> to talk to, to talk to Dr. Doshi because I'm really interested. Segway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm really interested though, in the clinical perspective of this, like, you know, Amy, you just talked about this significant experience with a huge traumatic event. Like Dr. Doshi, can you can you talk more about the neurological process of how the brain processes trauma? Like Amy just talked about, you know, having like, basically like you see your whole life and like all your regrets. Can you, can you talk more about that? Like what happens after a traumatic event and during? Yeah, absolutely. So when you're going through something traumatic, there's a part of the brain, the amygdala that serves as kind of our, uh, alert system and lets us know if there's danger around. So obviously what Amy went through in that moment, there, the amygdala was firing. And that releases a bunch of hormones within the body that ensure that you're getting to safety. You know, cortisol is released, glucose reserves are released so that you have more energy running through your body. Um, blood's leaving your stomach and going to the muscles. So your, your whole body is working to help you survive. Mm-hmm. And what happens, though, in, in when you're going through something traumatic, um, the hippocampus is another part of our brain that serves to store memories, things that we've been through. But that is kind of suppressed as, lo- as well as the there's a part of our brain called the prefrontal cortex. So the hippocampus serves um, in terms of storing memory. The prefrontal cortex serves to kind of help us think through um, rationally, make sense of what's going on. And so in that moment, all of that's suppressed and the amygdala is in charge. And so what we find in that process is the memories are really encoded in sensory experiences. So when Amy was talking about her experience, you know, she talked about the loud firecracker noise mm-hmm. and the screams and things like that. So that's really what gets encoded and sometimes the the uh, process and what happened and making sense of it all doesn't happen right away. And that stuff yeah. comes later. Yeah. And so talked about like re-experiencing um, nightmares and things like that. Your brain's trying to make sense of everything you're going to be triggered by sounds and smells and things that mm-hmm. were familiar from that moment. And when you get triggered by some sound or noise or smell or something you see, it can really be so painful and bring you right back to exactly what you were experiencing in the moment. 
And so there can be a strong desire to avoid mm-hmm. and run away from that and not, you know, do whatever you can to suppress or numb that. And so part of, and Amy, thank you so much for the plug for therapy. I'm also <laughs> a huge advocate of therapy is helping clients, um, you know, find a safe space to reconnect with uh, what they experienced. And through that process, we can revisit the memories that are buried deep, deep yeah. in there that are just hard to process alone sometimes. Yeah. Did you find that your memory, Amy, did you find that your memories mm-hmm. kind of reemerged as time went on? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I never lost consciousness. So I remembered everything very vividly. In fact, at first I thought that was kind of a curse because I remembered everything so vividly. Most people did not. Most people had to go through that, um, rapid eye movement type therapy to try to remember I've done that before because I, (laughs) I really did remember. Like I, I wish I didn't remember. I remember so much. So yeah, um, and I did like write everything down and record it because I thought through time that would probably get distorted. Yeah. So I wrote it down and recorded it early on so that I could remember it as purely as possible. Yeah, I know. Like you talked about, you know, um, safety at working for financial institutions. In my 20s, I was working at a bank and I got robbed by a, a, a mass gunman. And I, oh my gosh. like as it was happening, well, first of all, the guy like spelled money wrong. He spelled it M-U-N-E-Y. So I looked up and I, and mm. then I looked down because I see this note and I, you know, the, the FBI came, you know, I gave him the money and stuff like that. The FBI came later and, um, and interviewed me, you know, they separate you and put you in different rooms so that, so you're, it doesn't like clash with someone else's memory. I did not remember mm-hmm. anything except for how he smelled. Mm-hmm. He smelled like alcohol. And I remember thinking that, oh my gosh, is he going to kill me? Because he, I knew he was drunk and that until this day, I don't remember what he looked like. That memory never came back for me. So it's interesting that, you know, um, Dr. Doshi, you know, talking about that, you know, being kind of revealed, um, in terms of the memory. So, you know, another thing too, is like processing secondhand trauma. So if you're in a profession of like teaching, um, or even like as a therapist, you hear about a lot of horrible trauma. Um, and you know, you may learn of a child being molested or something like that. Um, how do you cope with that? How does, what is like advice for someone on how to cope with that? Yeah, you know, as a therapist, when I was first um, starting to see clients on my own, I certainly struggled with this a lot. And just growing to care about someone that you're working with, knowing that they could go through something so horrific can make you have a hard time falling asleep at night. And I think it just highlights, you know, how, um, bad things can happen to people all the time and it just creates that anxiety and that uncertainty and the finality of death that can be so scary and so yeah I think a lot of it uh, is similar to how I'd recommend coping with um, with a client in that you know therapists seek their own therapy and it's important to be able to process that I think a huge piece is noticing where there might be avoidance, you know, if you're trying to numb or trying to, um, 
run away from these experiences, they're only going to come back that much stronger. So yeah. get, definitely thinking about, you know, who you can talk to and um, making contact with the stuff that's scary and processing that and yeah. figuring out how you move forward with that. Yeah. So why do, why do people have flashbacks? Like, is there a, a neurological purpose of those? Because I, they just are, just seems like torture. <laughs> Yeah. I don't really understand their function. Yeah. It, Amy, you probably don't either. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, the the function of like flash, flashbacks, nightmares, you know, par- part of it's that your brain's trying to, you know, work through something, right? But also part of it, the usefulness of it is that we can appreciate that the mind's still working, your alert system's yeah. still working, right? So... You know, if, you know, as Amy was talking about that loud firecracker sound, if that came up again um, and your mind immediately goes back to that moment, has that flashback, it's only trying to serve you you and trying to protect you and saying, hey, there's something dangerous here. Let's get you to safety. It can be quite difficult to deal with on a day-to-day basis as you're living your life. Um, so, so, you know, I, there's never truly a way to make it go away completely. Um, just like you can't make other painful memories you've been through go away completely. But what we can do is really help the brain and through therapy, we help the clients understand in this context, your amygdala is firing like crazy, but it's a different context. You're safe here. There's different things going on here. You're okay. And through that process, we can start to minimize the impact that these flashbacks have on your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some ways, they're serving as reminders for you to like, you, okay, you got to keep working yeah. through this. Yeah. yeah. So uh, sometimes I like don't understand the inherent desire to get over things. It feels like we all have this inherent desire to like want to get over it or feel better And some people will, you know, do whatever, you know, and tell themselves um, anything to make themselves feel better. But oddly enough, with counseling and working through stuff, why does it seem like, you know, you're continuously triggered? Like, do you ever really get over a traumatic event? I don't know that you ever truly get over it completely in the sense that you never think about it again. Yeah. You know, it's constantly coming back in various forms. Yeah. Amy, do you want to speak to that? Yeah. I I would say no, you really don't. The best thing that, um, the best way to describe that is um, there's a new normal. So there's a new normal. And I remember uh, hearing that, you got you therapists, y'all always throw that out there. And, and I remember my, uh, my therapist said that, and I, was, I hated that. I was like, I want my old normal. I want my old normal. I do not want a new yeah. normal. No, a new normal will, will come around, and there'll come a day you're okay with the new normal, right? But it, yeah. it does take a long time. It really does. Yeah. But, like, you will be reminded, gosh, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if a day in my life has gone by that I haven't thought about it in some form or fashion. Yesterday I went to the, to the gym to work out in the morning and I turned around and I saw two girls working out. And those two girls were these beautiful young women who happened to be my best friend who was killed in the bombing. 
her two and three year old baby girls that lost their mama at age two and three years old. And there they were in the gym working out together. So, I mean, I, and there, and I mean, that's just one of many I see all the time around me. So it's constantly there. So yeah, yeah, there's, there's no, you don't go back to the way you were, but there Mm -hmm. is a new normal. And again, you heard me say a few minutes ago, in a way there's things that have happened in my life that wouldn't have happened had I not had a wake up call, you know, had I not chosen to respond the way I did respond they maybe wouldn't have happened. So it's, it's very messy, but there is hope. There's hope because there there really is a way that, you know, while you're not going to forget it, you really can go on to have an amazing life, you know, just you, if, if mm-hmm. you get the right counseling and you, you know, take those steps and work through that, there is life again. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that, um, you're exactly right. You never get over the trauma. You're always, it's always impacting you. There's a new normal, but it's really what you, what you do and what you decide to do consciously, um, with intention moving forward. Yeah. So number one, how do you know if you haven't dealt with a trauma? And then number two, how do you begin to deal with trauma if you haven't yet? How do you dive into that? Yeah, these are great questions. So one of uh, there's some hallmark signs to know if you're still struggling with trauma. So one of the categories that we can see is re-experiencing the trauma. So that comes in the form of fa- flashbacks, um, you know, nightmares, memories that come back, and there can also be. Uh, this desire to avoid and numb and escape. So if you're doing anything behaviorally, like a lot of people will cope with drugs or alcohol or anything like that, that's a a big sign that there's still a lot of work to do. And also if there's just a lot of um, what we call increased arousal, so feeling jittery, not sleeping well, difficulty concentrating, feeling irritable, angry, Yelling these, at people. Yes, yeah. all of the above. <laughs> yeah, these are signs that for no reason. <laughs> yes, you're like, what? Why yes. are you freaking out about? I just this toasted your bread. <laughs> it's just a little bit crispier than normal. <laughs> right, exactly. These are all signs that there's probably a lot of work to do. Yeah. And then, what were you asking? Is like, how do you go about? Yeah, like yeah. how? I mean, I like Amy talked about how she tried to cancel her therapy <laughs> appointment. That's an awesome therapist <laughs> called you back. <laughs> great (laughs) um like you know a lot of people are therapy adverse and Mm -hmm. you know everyone knows that I think every single episode (laughs) of this podcast that I've had thus far I've pushed therapy (laughs) in some way because it's it's really helped me in my life um but for people that may be adverse to that like do you have any recommendations for them to get over it and go to therapy (laughs) yes (laughs) just come to therapy um No, but Amy said something that I thought was really interesting that she, um, I think Amy said that you had written everything down right away because you were fearful that it would get distorted later. And um, that's, I was, you know, part of one of the therapies that I use, um, a cognitive processing therapy. We we do have clients kind of sit down and write um, what they remember. And that's one way of making contact and processing uh, what they were going through. I think if you can find someone safe to talk to and just kind of 
going through exactly what you are feeling and thinking and just having someone listen and normalize, like Amy said, like this is normal, you know, what you're going through. Yeah. Um, that's a, th- those are kind of a good starting points. Um, yeah. And third, just making sure that you're not totally avoiding and numbing and trying to find your way back to life in meaningful ways. Yeah. Oh, well, this was such a good episode. I mean, for myself, <laughs> again, just like another another episode of therapy. <laughs> Thank you so much, Amy. I really, really appreciate you being on the podcast and for Thank sharing you. your... Yes. Thank you for sharing your amazing story. You're so inspiring to so many people. And I'm glad that, you know, that we have continued um, to have a relationship over all these years and that other people are going to hear about your amazingness. And thank you so much, Dr. Doshi, for your insight and your knowledge and, you know, for spreading the word on this. Um, you can find helpful tips for managing trauma on my website. Um, subscribe to my podcast on iTunes and Spotify, comment, rate it, subscribe, subscribe, please subscribe. (laughs) And my website is top. Yes. (laughs) Listen to Amy. She knows everything. (laughs) (laughs) You can visit my website at tallhungrygirl.com. Thank you so much. Bored.